Shalom, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Upper Room After Hours. I'll be your host once again. Thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me uh, once again. Uh, we're about to dive into some current events and some uh, weird and wonderful uh, excerpts from the news. Um, we've been fairly busy. I've, it's been a while since I've been here uh, flying solo. Um, but with that being said, we've had some uh, great guests of late on the main podcast. Um, yeah, been really fortunate with some uh, great interviews, some great uh, points of view and testimonies and whatnot. So if you've not already, head on over if you if you feel led and check it out. Uh, but as I mentioned, it's just me, uh, my thoughts and the internet. So uh, if that's your cup of tea, settle in, get comfortable and we'll uh, we'll go for a little little ride. Uh, and see what's going on now. Um, today's episode, uh, it'd be interesting to find out what do uh, Richard Dawkins, the uh, poster boy of atheism and uh, advanced laser technology and weapons have in common? Uh, we're going to be getting into that. Um, so just as a start, I would suggest that they're both equally dangerous to the general population, potentially. But that will be made clear as we get into it. So um, for our first subject today, um, now it's been pretty hard to go on the uh, on the news and on social media and get away from the fact that there are indeed... Uh, wars and rumors of wars and i previously stated on the channel that it's not for me to go into uh the specifics of biblical prophecy uh however there are certain things that have come to the fore which are, i think are quite um uh hard to ignore essentially um so with that we've had a lot of mainstream um uh, a lot of mainstream articles and websites and newspapers talking about the dreaded rumor of, of, of World War Three. Uh, here we've got the Independent. Are we heading for World War Three? And is Britain military ready? Uh, we've got um, on the uh, Express and, and other outlets as well. Vladimir Putin's mouthpiece warns World War Three will definitely happen in our lifetime. Um, quite, quite the bold claim. Uh, why is NATO preparing for, for World War III? Uh, it goes into details about the, uh, the preparation for uh, the ensuing apocalyptic uh, danger on the horizon, which, uh, as I've said before, I'm not one to negate the potential of it all kicking off because um, things are looking certainly primed, uh, particularly uh, in the Middle East with recent events. Um, it's not so much the specifics of this uh, cataclysmic scenario that I wanted to focus on uh, today. It was uh, this article. Now, I've got a small confession to make. I, I do still regularly go on the BBC uh, website uh, just to kind of see what the general measurement of stuff is in terms of what's being reported and how it's reported. Um, and I came across this. A uh, really interesting article. The uh, the Dragonfire Laser. Uh, 
Ministry of Defense test weapon as low-cost alternative to missiles. Now, what grabbed my attention with this one is that quite often when it came to, um, uh, you know, laser technology within weaponry, it's, uh, it's definitely tinfoil hat uh, areas of conspiracy. Um, very, again, you, you've got the, the, the sci-fi element of, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, like lasers and what seemed to be like a, a pipe dream at once upon a time is now actually fast becoming a reality. And what's uh, fascinating is when things are again reported in mainstream media, it's like you, you can really uh, go as far to say is what's being shown is well, well behind in terms of what um, certain authorities, uh, particularly the military are concerned where they are actually at with technology, because it's, it's, it's common knowledge that, you know, what we receive now is is military grade uh, 15, 20 years ago. So, it's, so an iPad today would be like a Nokia 3210 to, to somebody. It, it, it's just like a very delayed knock-on effect. So when you see articles like this um, about the testing of um, military weapons, uh, it definitely piques the interest because you think, well, what, what have they been doing in this time if it's only just being revealed? Um, before we get into this area, it's actually, I found it quite difficult to find actual footage of this, this laser technology being used in a way that's kind of, uh, that conforms to what your imagination would suggest. Um, again, the internet is such a, it's hard to know what's real and what isn't. Now you can obviously go and look at footage, photographs and everything else and, uh, easily uh, i guess be deceived in terms of what is what is being used and what's out there but just in terms of using my imagination and filling in the blanks uh it, you do wonder as to what's uh, actually uh, being used so uh right let's crack on the the uk has successfully fired a high power laser weapon against an aerial target for the first time in the trial uh, it is hoped that the test will pave the way for a low-cost alternative to missiles to shoot down targets like drones. I guess in the cost-of-living uh, crisis, one thing we do need to worry about is the price of uh, killing other people. Uh, so that's a relief that we can find an alternative to that. Um, the dragon fire weapon is precise... Um, uh, enough to hit a one pound coin from a kilometer away, uh, the Ministry of Defense uh, says. Uh, it described the test as its Hebrides range in Scotland as a major step in bringing the technology into service. Uh, what's really uh, interesting about, about this area is like how quite often in militarized language, you have to uh, put different words on the reality of what it is. So when you talk about targets and neutralizing it's like insert killing people and destroying places <laughs> it's like uh yeah uh defense secretary grant shapps uh said the technology could reduce the reliance on expensive ammunition while also lowering the risk of collateral damage save some money and actually uh 
kill people who you intend to kill. Um, the Ministry of Defence says both the Army and the Royal Navy are considering using the technology as part of their future air defence capabilities. Uh, while laser weaponry might sound like something from science fiction, uh, the US Navy has already installed uh, systems on several destroyers. Um, so it's already a go. Um, however, missiles rather than lasers have been used to shoot down drones uh, during the current conflict with Houthis in the Red Sea. Uh, now, missiles can be far more expensive than the drones they destroy, uh, with some costing millions of pounds compared to a few thousand. Um, the ministry says firing the Dragonfire system for 10 seconds is the cost equivalent of using a regular heater for an hour. <laughs> With the cost of operating it, t typically less than £10 per shot. Could you imagine, like, the weapons inspector going around, uh, going, well, I like the accuracy and uh, the technology is impressive, but have you installed the smart meter? Because I want to make sure that you're uh, not causing a, 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 a more problems for the uh, climate crisis. Um Laser-directed energy weapons, LDEWs, use an intense light beam to cut through their target and can strike at the speed of light. That's some heavy science right there. Uh, the range of the Dragonfire system is classified, but it is a line-of-sight weapon, meaning it can attack any visible target within range. Uh, it is being developed by the Defence Science and Technology Laboratory uh, alongside some industry partners on behalf of the Ministry of Defence. Um, Again, just to state, uh, I'm sure you're all aware that the, the military-industrial complex is worth absolutely trillions. Uh, again, it's it's uh, if you put the perspective of uh, one of the purposes, one of the main purposes of war uh, and conflict is not it, it done under the guise of freedom and redeeming people and fighting for uh, justice. It's, it's a money-making exercise. There's some serious revenue to be had. And again, like a lot of these um, areas of uh, authority and control, just follow the money, basically, who stands to make money and um, who's invested in what, where the stocks and shares rise and increase and fall, etc. That's where you start to see who the players are. Again, nothing new. This has been going on for, for, for a long time. Um, again, it's just an interesting take on, on where uh, weaponry uh, has headed and and just just for the sake of uh, transparency, I, I'm not like a I'm not a military expert. I'm I'm not really that up on um, warfare and all of that stuff. It, it's not really my my area of interest. But um, seeing these developments is definitely compelling. Um, uh, the chief exec executive, uh, Dr. Paul Hollinshead, said, uh, these trials have seen us take a huge step forward in realising the potential opportunities and understanding the threats uh, posed by directed energy weapons. Uh, the Dragonfire weapon system is the result of a 100 million joint investment by the Mission of Defence and Industry. Uh, the development of laser weapons comes amid the increasing use of drones in warfare, which has uh, been seen during the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, uh, with Russia believed to be using Iranian-made kamikaze drones to attack Ukrainian cities. Uh, Ukraine, which also uses some kamikaze drones, has created its own army of drones, uh, which has seen the use of hobby drones for military purposes. 
Um, so it, it's interesting because we've uh, we've covered uh, a lot on this channel with regards to uh, the developments of technology, uh, AI, and the effect that it has socially and all of these things. But seeing it in a military um, construct is uh, it's 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 a it's a different area that we've not really seen in civilization before. Um, so not only is weaponry being changed, but the nature of the weapons, the technology involved. Uh, and the implications of that. Um, obviously, you have physical weaponry, uh, weaponry as well. But um, interestingly, a lot of, um, I guess, experts in this area talk about the uh, idea of um, security being the, one of the biggest uh, elements of weaponry and attack in terms of uh, being able to disable um, security systems, um, energy sources. Um, so it's changed it's changed the landscape in terms of who's got the most ammunition and the biggest gun, but who's actually got the smartest hackers and ability to infiltrate the dependence on technology when it comes to utilizing certain uh, weapons and means of warfare. So again, just setting the, uh, the tone with regards to the BBC is, is quite happy to report the uh, development and the application of laser um, weaponry. Um, which if you look at some maybe recent events with regards to um, certain uh, catastrophes taking place, whether it be fires and the, the starting of fires, uh, again, very um, debatable and a lot of conjecture with regards to hows and whys and wherefores of how these things start. But again, it's it, I think it's naive to... Uh, assume that these forms of weaponry have not been either utilized tested or or used for um certain unfair advantages shall we say by those in the know so again i just want to back up that what can seem like conspiracy um literally in one week the next is actually completely validated by what's being rolled out in the mainstream so to talk about uh, oh well you know there's weapons where you can fire from hundreds of kilometers away at, at the size of a penny and destroy all of the and it's like now nah, you 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 know you, you're mad but here we are so with that being said i, I kind of started stumbling around the areas of uh, I basically was trying to find footage of these lasers being used because it's it's not an easy thing but again I don't want to present something on here and then it's just like no that's photoshop that's rubbish so um whilst I was doing that I came across uh, again this is a company that you may uh, or not be familiar with uh, Lockheed Martin uh which have had a long history with regards to uh weaponry ammunitions and generally profit profiting from from war and so if you go on to their website next gen threats require next gen defenses and we're getting into something uh which i thought as a kid was like sci-fi so directed energy harnessing the power of lasers for 21st century security 
uh, at sea, in the air, and on the ground, Lockheed Martin is developing laser weapon systems ready to defend U.S. allied forces, uh, the good guys. Uh, combined with our platform integration expertise, these systems are designed to defeat a growing range of threats to military forces and infrastructure across all domains. So again, this is the Lockheed Martin uh, website, and here we go into basically their catalogue of weaponry um, for those that would be interested in in partaking in the use of attacking people or defending uh, your right to freedom. Um, so delivering affordable, again, cost of living, we, we've got to consider these things, effective defence at the speed of light, um, decades of experience, mature multi-mission lasers, innovative next-generation lasers, ready for integration and production. I mean, my interaction with lasers so far have been either in a uh, medical uh, field or building stuff. Um, so when it comes to actually <laughs> fighting people, it's like, wow, I, I, you're literally taking me to the Millennium Falcon where I'm going to be engaged in some... Uh, serious uh george lucas warfare so here we've got airborne laser weapon system the uh, naval laser weapon system uh ground laser weapon system high power microwave systems so these microwave systems uh they're not going to be um, heating up your ginsters but they'll be disabling uh incoming drones and any kind of uh, smaller objects i believe Again, which is, you know, it's a fascinating uh, principle of those who, who are in the faith and uh, not even just this faith in particular, but those who believe in a, a spiritual realm and uh, interact, interacting with, uh, uh, you know, things of another dimension, things of the unseen. Uh, it can seem very uh, supernatural or even folly to a lot of people. But if you talk about Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll just connect with vibe. Like, what? Like, <laughs> that's that's mad. That's actually mad. Anyway, I digress. Um, so what have we got here? We have got the ground laser weapon system. Let's take a look. Uh, funny enough that I can't see any pricing at this point, which is always scary whenever you go shopping and you're looking at the product. You get a bit excited and giddy and you can't see the price because, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's normally out of the price range. Um, Lockheed Martin's 50-kilowatt class Deimos system is a ruggedized tactical laser weapon system that can be integrated into the striker combat vehicle to deliver robust energy capability to the U.S. Army's challenging maneuver short-range air defense uh, mission. Um the 50-kilowatt-class laser weapon system brings another critical piece to help ensure the U.S. Army is layered air defense capability. Um, Deimos has been tailored from our prior laser weapon successes to affordably meet the Army's longer modernization strategy for air and missile defense and to improve mission success with 21st century solutions. Um, so you've got to ask yourself, really, like, how long... <laughs> How long has this been going on? Like, how long have they been developing this stuff? Where did they get the ideas? And how did they come up with the technology to, to develop this? Again, things just aren't plucked up out of the ether and just, oh, here's a laser beam. It's like, 
again, this is where a biblical, surprisingly to a lot of people, a biblical backdrop to what's taking place today actually fills in a lot of these blanks. Um, so, yeah, basically that's the uh, short-range ground laser monster thing. Uh, you've got the naval weapon system, airborne... Like and they've got this, uh, demonstration videos of all of these. Uh, so if that's your thing, check them out. But again, one of the most compelling uh, elements to this, similar to NASA and a lot of these organizations, check out the names: Deimos, uh, uh, Helios. Like, why do they always? Why are they always named after like Greek gods and goddesses of like destruction and war and you know Apollyon, Apollo, and like. Actually, funnily enough, I worked in a company where um, a lot of the uh, computer systems were named after, like, <laughs> Greek gods and stuff and not the nice ones. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the company unnamed because I'm obviously I'm grateful for whatever. But, um, yeah, you know, I had names like Athena. Uh, there was Team Lucifer who would do development of ideas. Um, Athena, Apollo, and... Uh, as a believer, I'm sat there thinking like, so I'm using these um, computer systems to, to get information from other places. Um, it's just a weird, it's, it's a very strange concept. And again, to to the unbeliever or to the uh, to Joe Bloggs on the street, it's like, well, it's, it's war, isn't it? And that's the God of war, so we'll call it the God of warship or whatever. It's like, it, but when you see the spiritual backdrop behind it, it's like, okay, so just running with this idea if these gods and goddesses are actually depictions of the fallen ones that have descendants to you know uh the the fallen angelic realm and yet all of these modes of technology be it weaponry uh computers uh development all of these things why do they have these names you could call them anything this could be called jeffrey and bungle but you've decided to go for uh helios um, again, for those who are, who are, who are researched, uh, you'll, you'll come across these names before. Um, so let's check out the uh, the main... Uh, this is the big cell, I guess. Um, directed energy. The time for laser, laser weapon systems has come. Oh, what a relief. Lockheed Martin produces systems that do everything from detect the threats to identify the threats, determine whether it's a threat to the aircraft, and then employs the appropriate weapon, in this case, a laser weapon system. What we're hearing from our customers is that they need a layered, multi-domain defensive approach that can be integrated across platforms to neutralize these threats across all those domains. Neutralize these threats. <laughs> Kill people. Imagine an aircraft equipped with a laser system with the capability to be able to neutralize a threat at the speed of a lightning strike, the precision of a surgical scalpel, with the magazine to deal with a swarm, and with the scalable effect to be able to address that threat 
providing an effect all the way the one end from simply deterring it for a short period of time all the way up to completely neutralizing and defeating that threat. We were able to integrate our laser weapon system, Athena, into the classified C2 network and receive cues from the radar on the range in order to execute the full kill chain. The Helios laser weapon system builds on 40 years of combat system engineering and radar excellence. That is a fundamental change for laser weapon systems, which here to date have been prototypes added to a ship. Helios will be integrated into the ship. So what's exciting about this technology is that it's scalable. It's lived in the laboratory for many years, but it's finally reached the power levels and the effectiveness to allow it to be used on the battlefield. As an example, today's laser weapon systems can be used to defeat rockets, artillery, mortars, and even small UAVs. And See, this is where it's easy to take offense to the fact that... Um, you know, you, you can run with the idea that these things have been used and have been used for a while. But yeah, if you suggest that, then, uh, you know, you're, you're mad. So it's, yeah, it's really frustrating. And as that technology and capability scales, the effectiveness scales with it. We'll be to the point here shortly where we'll be able to defend aircraft against incoming missiles and even reach out over long distances and destroy ballistic missile threats. Laser weapon systems are earning their way onto the battlefield. Lockheed Martin advancements in the fundamental subsystems, be it beam control, high energy laser, beam direction, power and thermal, is bringing a system of system approach to our customers' most challenging problem. Lockheed Martin can bring that end-to-end -end capability into the theater for the life of our platforms and help defend the brave women and men who boldly go in harm's way to defend our freedoms. So there you go. Uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, their mission is ours, apparently. Um, yeah, uh, quite a bit to chew on in that. Um, it's, again, it's just that slippery language of... Uh, platforms theaters freedom it's it's just it's death that's been tied up with some fancy fonts and some lovely editing some uh, stirring music to be like yeah freedom but um yeah uh, just a, a really interesting uh, i say interesting because what actually goes through my head is something more like this Gosh, so um, yeah, that's uh, that's laser technology and the implementation of it in uh, modern warfare. So yeah, just some uh, just from food for thought once again. Um, you know, has this technology been used over a, a longer period of time? Um, is it uh, misplaced to suggest that these things have been used? 
uh, against civilians um, by governments in certain situations? And uh, are we headed for a Terminator 2-style Armageddon cataclysmic Luke Skywalker uh, mad laser death scene? I, I don't know. I don't know, but again, these are all... Uh, compelling areas and uh once again let us know what you think uh get involved in the comment section and uh that'll be much appreciated Right, so I mentioned an individual at the top of the show, um, the the poster boy of atheistic, um, I guess, uh, campaigning, uh, to put it politely, uh, Richard Dawkins. Now, uh, I came across uh, a video uh, recently, and um, I just thought it'd be interesting to get into the realm of, um, I guess, uh, apologetics and what can actually be, um, I guess, construed as a, a, a solid intellectual argument or actually, um, you know, you, you can be put off by uh, what appears to be uh, intelligent people or uh, even worse, that the wisdom of man uh, can be quite a difficult thing to, uh, to engage with. Uh, however, uh, I saw this... Um, this video recently from from Richard Dawkins. He's being interviewed uh, by a gentleman called uh, Alex O'Connor, I believe. Um, yeah, Alex O'Connor. Uh, again, he's a he's a atheist kind of debater guy who's got some um, a, a quite a, a strong following, and uh, he's interviewing uh, Richard Dawkins. And uh, I just thought that this was a really revealing uh, conversation about. Uh, how we get into these uh, again? It, I'm not saying that you're going to just bump into Dawkins in the street, and next thing you know, you're going to be uh, in a debate about the uh, deep complexities of the nature of existence. However, I think there's some nuggets in here which I think can actually help when you have these conversations uh, with uh, unbelievers. Now, I'm not saying I've got the answers, but I'm just going to go through this conversation and react to it uh, with my thoughts and, and feelings about uh, the commonalities of this type of conversation now um the title of this is why i won't debate william lake crane uh craig now if you're not familiar with uh william lake lane craig oh, let's see <laughs> easier easier to read than say uh let's have a look for me my favorite argument for the existence of god that i find the most compelling is a version of the cosmological argument which goes like this Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Something can't just come into being from nothing. Secondly, the universe began to exist. I think we have both good philosophical arguments and scientific evidence for the finitude of the past, from which it follows. Third, therefore the universe has a cause. And when you do a conceptual analysis of what it is to be 
a cause of the universe, you arrive at a being which is an uncaused, beginningless, timeless, spaceless, enormously powerful personal creator of the universe. So for me, that is a very convincing argument. So that's uh, William Craig. Um, yeah, quite a famous debater, uh, scholar, uh, Christian, who uh, yeah has a, a very strong platform and goes out and does the whole uh, debating apologetics thing. Uh, I think he had a, a quite a good interview with Ben Shapiro about the... Uh, uh, the Godhead of, of of Christ and the Spirit and the Father, and it, yeah, it just makes for for interesting viewing. Now, so that's a bit of a backdrop about William Craig. So there's kind of this perception that William Craig is like, you know, the guy when it comes to uh, Christian debating, and then you've got Dawkins who's been doing this for a long time. Uh, so yeah, let's let's just get into it. Um, if you're one of those people that like looking, watching the whole video and then going through it at the end, like this bit's not going to be for you. I'm going to be stopping and starting, but um, yeah. Uh, so I apologise for that, but let's have a look. You have had in your career that you can think of now. Who's the most formidable debate opponent that you have had in your career that you can think of now uh, on this question of God's existence? I don't think there are any. Um, not not that not that I'm formidable myself, but 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 I I, I don't think that there are any very good arguments. Um, no point in a debate where where you're sat there, getting ready to get up and give your ten minute rebuttal while they're speaking, writing your notes and thinking, oh gosh, uh, what am I going to say to that? That that's that's a that's a fair point. I don't think so. Um, So j just off the bat, uh, uh, this Alex O'Connor, uh, as I said, I've not seen much of it. I've not seen anything of him, to be honest. This is the first time I've come across him. But I actually find him to be quite um, peaceable, quite likable in, in the way in which he comes across. Uh, I don't know we're supposed to love our enemies. I'm not, But like, there's something about Dawkins that uh, it, it can be uh, slightly, slightly triggering. Um and I find quite often the things that he's accusing others of, he's uh, he comes across that way. So there are things in which he levels towards William Craig, which uh, can almost be self-reflective in a way. But uh, anyway, it's, it's less about Dawkins, the person and personality, and, and more about the, the, the things that he's he's talking about. I, mean, I don't want to sound arrogant. It's not that I've got great, great points. It's just that I don't think there are any good points to be made. You know, maybe it's something about the debate format as well. You know, everybody's so prepared that you know, yes. you're rarely caught off guard. Yes. Um, I mean, the sort of professional debaters in, on, on behalf of religion, uh, people like William Craig, um, I've, I've no time for him. I mean, he's, he, he, he's got this sort of loud, uh, rather pompous voice and... and, and um, he says that's a premise one, deduction two, and things like that. And and the audience, <laughs> I suppose, is supposed to be impressed. I, <laughs> I've had I've had uh, William Lane Craig twice on on my podcast, and I always had a good experience with him. Having said that, I didn't debate him. I don't know what that would be like. It's something you're not interested in doing, debating William Lane Craig, or, or having well, a have conversation done. perhaps with William Lane Craig. I, I have done. Um, I, I vowed not to. I, I, I 
I feel such contempt for him because of his, I don't know whether you've seen his, what he says about the Something Israelites about slaughtering the Midianites. And, and, and instead of saying what any decent theologian would say, well, it never happened. Um, uh, and it was, this is just... Okay, so first up, we've got um, Dawkins' aversion to the principle of Craig's position on the Israelite slaughter uh, of the Midianites um, as depicted in... Uh, in the scriptures when Joshua and, and Israel go into Canaan and they, under God's command, they, they slaughter um, many people. So first aversion he has, you can see a, um, a moral friction, <laughs> shall we say, about the premise of slaughtering people. So you have a moral premise. And second of all, he's, uh, talking about the validity of this uh, taking place at all. So bear that in mind. Moral friction and whether this actually took place. In the Old Testament story, um, he says, um, well, the Midianites had it coming uh, because they were so sinful. And then... Um, uh, if you worry about the Midianite children who had their brains beaten out of them, um, that's okay because they went straight to heaven. And, and that, that finished him, him off as far as I was concerned. Now, um, for me, I actually wrote a, a piece in the, in the Guardian. Right, so his beef with Craig is that Craig is saying that he's okay with the slaughter of Midianite people, particularly children so aside from whether this actually took place or not we've uh we've hit a bit of a crossroads with dawkins here because um the the premise of um by what standard is this a bad thing in the sense that you're using a moral argument and a, a moral standpoint based on what you deem to be something that's bad and abhorrent. Um, that will get further into that premise as we go into the conversation. But just bear that in mind. Also, um, it's his first reference to um, what he has glossed over as sinful, as sinful Midianites. <clears throat> oh, well, God has instructed... Um, the, sle- the, the, the the death and the slaughter of these people because they were they were sinful they were a bit sinful now I don't know if Dawkins has done any research with regards to the uh, the origins of the of the ites and the things that took place in the land of Canaan i.e. the the religious practices the ceremonial elements and the idolatry that was taking place it puts a lot into perspective in terms of the context of what Israel are being instructed to do. So, for example, if um, practices such as child uh, sacrifice, um, cultic prostitution, um, let's throw bestiality in there, Uh, if these practices are what are taking place... um, to uh, 
to the directive of, 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 of the slaughter of these people, I think we can begin to appreciate that there, there might be something more at play than just a sinful group of people who aren't conforming to the ideas of one tribe to the next. You've basically got people killing children, uh, doing all sorts of shenanigans, and then also uh, throw, throw some animals in there as well. So I think it's important again if you if you come across this conversation of like why did God order the death and destruction of all these people? It's like well, have a look at the things in which uh, they were doing. Now again, you can get into a back and forth about the whys and wherefores and the uh, moral standpoint of why is it okay to to kill another tribe or kill people uh, for any reason. Um, but the fundamental principle when you engage in these conversations, for me at least, is by what standard? By what standard? So if we take it back to an atheistic viewpoint of a floating rock that came from nothing and we are literally just matter reflecting the organized state of these clumps of cells, uh, merely sharing the reflection of this experience, um, then by what by what standard is that a bad thing? You know, if I can attribute a moral standpoint to a source, a guide, and rules of engagement, and attribute that to um, a creator uh, and somebody who has installed of these uh, premises, I do feel more inclined to say, right. These are the reasons why I think this is bad and this is why we shouldn't do certain things. However, I can't help but think if you have no uh, moral source for that viewpoint, it then becomes very difficult for an individual to say, well, that's bad to go and ch kill children. Well, why? Why is it bad? If, if I want to do what I want to do and there is no um, standard, there is no... Uh, standard bearer why 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 would you why are you offended why would that be evil why would that be considered bad so for me in a lot of these conversations now i'm generalizing a little bit a lot of people will say well we should just treat each other well and we should treat others how we want to be treated and because um, that's just right that's just that's just our right as humans it's like you can see that there's already creeping in like a a um some rules some some rules and some regulations however it's like look I'm just a clump of cells moving about doing what I've been predestined to do by the moves and the mechanisms of the quantum physics and all of all the the makeup of of this world like why does it matter if I think doing this is good or doing this is bad so that's, for me, that's always the undertone to these conversations is like, wow, Dawkins is getting a bee in his bonnet because it's wrong to go and kill children. I'm, I'm just going to ask why. Why is that wrong? In the same way, I will, I will never have anything to do with him. I can see why you, you might sort of look at something like that and say, that's, a, that's an evil thing to think. That's an evil thing to say. I don't want to debate this person. Again, that's an evil thing to say that's an evil thing to do. I don't want anything to do with him. 
by by what standard what what is the nature of this evil you speak of um what is the what is the origin and the source of this good and evil you know so it just um it i think it becomes problematic for an individual to use a a moral standpoint to an aversion to uh, events that took place in the bible but uh, a few moments ago you told me that the idea of the new testament in general about you know being born yes. in sin and needing yeah. salvation is an evil idea yes and yet that's an idea that many <laughs> so, it's not the idea of salvation that i'm finding funny because obviously it's a it's a it's i think it's the deepest this is the deepest um uh, foundation to to our existence and and the why we're here and everything else, but he's just like, you think the idea of uh, needing a savior and and all of this this is an evil idea? Yes, yes, it's just evil. I don't like it. It's like, why don't you like it? What's wrong with it? And you know, you just get in this little circle of, well, what's your problem? Like, if there is no God, there's no good. There's no evil. Like why? What's what's the problem with calling something sinful or uh, against uh, what is uh, commonly known as good? If the opponents that you have spoken to will have believed, they they believe yes. evil things too. So so why particularly yes, with William a, Lane it's, Craig? It's, you it's have a fair to... point. Um, I I think the the thing is that um, the Christian theologians who who take this seriously um, is are. Uh, Honestly, well-meaning. I mean, they 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 believe in the God of love. They believe they believe in Jesus as the as the as the Son of God of love, and so on. Um, I think the the sheer well, they 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 would never have defended the slaughter of the Midianites and the Jebusites and things in the Book of Joshua. Again. It, uh... His assumption that uh, uh, a Christian or a believer wouldn't have identified the context and the history of um, what was taking place in the land at that time, um, the relationship between um, Israel, Canaan, uh, the fall of Israel, oh, it's so deep because this, this, this is why it's so important that we study the full Bible uh, and again, I know there are a lot of Christian f- theologians and um, pastors who do study the Old and New Testament. But when it comes to like the identity of what it means to be Israel um, and the um, the ongoing uh, prophetic story of what it means to have fallen away from um, uh, from th- the ways of God. And Israel's role in that it's like we're, I'm so grateful that um, we're able to study th- these things and know about the context of what was taking place, like what idolatry actually pertained to, and the the role of which Israel had in terms of um, uh, fighting against these things. So that's my first rejection: is that actually those that who are um, in belief of the word of God uh, and do believe that to be a, a factual historical document, uh, one that is uh, divinely inspired, um, I'm obligated 
to study myself approved and know what was what was going on so i would i would reject that and say no actually those that are um, passionate about their faith are not are not going to be ignorant to these things unfortunately a lot a lot of people are and again i'm not i'm no expert but you know you, you do a little bit of digging and it and the context changed because you are going to be challenged on these things. Why did your God say that it's okay to go and kill these people? Well, because, etc. And I'm not speaking on, like, we'll get into the, the depths of the understanding and, and why certain things are ordered. But, um, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, and somehow justified because... because the Midianites were, were sinful. Um, um, it is, I think it's an order of magnitude worse there. Perhaps you would disagree with that. But. Maybe. I mean, I think there's a sense in which a, a Christian who believes in the historicity of the Old Testament, I mean... So let, let, let's just state, there's the difference between being sinful because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We, we, we all uh, are in need of a saviour. We've all sinned and we're all partakers in the curse of uh, the sin of death. We all need that saviour. We all need the re redemptive blood of Yeshua and the fact that he rose from the grave after three days and gave us access to the Father. We understand uh, all of that. However, there's a difference between being sinful and partaking in some of the most heinous activities which uh, could come to, to one's imagination. Um, so that's, again, it's just, I, I find it really sloppy. And actually, this is where I think it's empowering for 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 believers not to be like daunted or afraid of somebody who's uh, of a high profile or you know has as, as a degree of a platform because when you actually look at it you say no it wasn't about just being a bit sinful because we would all receive what we would deserve and that would be the the, the, the full wrath of god um so yeah the midianites might be it's it's so I'm sometimes told it's complicated by the fact that it's Moses who instructs the slaughter of the Midianites, but it seems clear to me that this is sanctioned by God. I think that a, a, a Christian who believes in the history of the Old Testament just has to believe that whatever happened there was somehow okay with God, was somehow moral. Now, I agree that that, that, that to me is a criticism I make all the time. How could this be moral? But I so what I like about this guy is uh, he does seem to be a bit more well-informed about um, the Bible and tenets of the belief and the, and the faith. Uh, again, I'm probably being super naive. He, there's probably loads of stuff out there that he's done, um, stuff that I probably disagree with. But at least he's 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 starting to stretch the the limits of um, the context of uh, biblical accuracy and uh, as a historical document as opposed to a book of fairy tales. Um, but we're going to get into some some choppy waters now. But I also say, how could it be moral that God allows children to get cancer? How could it be moral that, you know, yes. God, and, and, and I suppose the thing that I would say is that if. So this is um, one of those what I would consider to be a deep meditation and um, this premise of, OK, so if you serve a God of love and God is love, then why does he allow insert, you know, xyz and we've gone into the territory of of children uh with cancer and they're using that as a as a a moral um yeah a moral guide in terms of why 
Um, which again, if you take it back to what I was describing before, well, what do you care? What does that matter? By what standard? Um, sorry. If you press to Christian, well, if there's a good God, why do children get cancer? They just have to say something like, there must be some reason for this. There must be some explanation. Yes, I suppose that if... if now, that's true to a certain extent. I, I, I do believe um, getting into the mechanics and the whys and wherefores of why certain things are allowed to happen are undoubtedly um, pathways in which we all uh, navigate in our faith. You know, going into the book of Job territory of why does this happen? Why does that happen? Um, and that's part of the challenge and the testing of our faith. So undoubtedly we can have the apologetics, we can have the answers, we can have the biblical references, but um, we also have the humility enough to say, I'm not God, I don't know why these things have been ordained, I don't know why uh, this has been allowed to happen, but I know that God is not the author of death, I, I serve a God of life. However, if, if things have been allowed that aren't, uh, conforming to my moral understanding or uh, compass, then it's it's generally me that needs to uh, that has the problem, um, and and by that I mean, um, yeah, uh, humility and, and not understanding that the fullness of 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 what's taking place, um, which can be a, a really really hard area to be in, of course. Um, but sometimes we, we don't have the answers and we don't know why uh, God allows certain things. But if we take it back to the basic premise of what the, the Bible describes as the fall of man and the nature of sin and the description of how uh, the curse of sin and death entered into the world and creates the backdrop in terms of um, the, uh, the more harsher realities of life, now, there's also, you know, there's that kind of temptation of, of when you're accused of that evangelical, like, you've got a cold, so that's, you know, you've been sinning, so you've got, you know, it's that, like, you can't go into a children's hospice and say, you're all sinners, and that's why you're dying. Like, that's not what we're saying. But we have to put in the widest context of what we've inherited uh, and what we take part in is a, an extremely fallen state. Um, which is uh, either a part of a, an individual sin, uh, whether it be generationally, whether it be the sin of Adam, the inherited curse of sin through Adam, uh, and obviously the redemption story and process through Yeshua. But as believers, we've got this premise of like, nothing in this world is, is as it should be or as it was designed or intended. Um, however, we have to hold on to that biblical truth that sin has indeed in, entered the world. Sin is death. Uh, sin is transgression of the law. God's ways are good. God's ways are perfect. They're for our benefit. And somewhere along the line, as a collective, we've gone way off track. We've gone so far off track. And so this is partly why we see the death, the disease, the suffering, the affliction. This is part of it. Um, to get into the specifics of individuals who um, receive that, both um, believers and unbelievers alike, is a deep, deep theological meditation uh, which uh, those in the faith do have to navigate. Um, but again, I think there have been a, 
this is only an excerpt of their conversation, but it's wrong to assume that every Christian is just going to go, well, geez, I don't know. I'm not God and I trust it. You know, it's, it's not quite that. So they really do have to, be, if they really do believe the literal word of the Bible, but mm. then that, that brings us back to fundamentalist creationists. I mean, well, uh, even just, just in terms of why God would allow evil at all. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm imagining, in other words, is suppose we had this other Christian philosopher, debater, and uh, somebody had said to them, well, why do children get cancer if there's a good God? And they said, look, if I believe in a good God, I have to believe that the, the children who die of cancer are going to heaven. I have to believe that there's some reason for the suffering that they're undergoing. Yes. Now, you could say, this person said that, you know, kids who have cancer, oh, they should be grateful because they're going straight to heaven. And are there some reason to give children cancer? That's despicable. I want nothing. No, and no, no right-minded believer is actually going to turn around and say that it's good or right that uh, a child has cancer. That's mad. What we see here is that the, po- the finger's being pointed at us for uh, believing on, and relying on a text and teachings uh, and a guideline around this area. But yet they, they do the very same in terms of the worldviews that they hold. Um, so nobody's saying that this is, um, you know, a, a, a good situation or, or this is what, um, that, that anybody should be grateful for suffering and affliction. What we're daring to say is that there is a, a, a context and an understanding behind as to why there is suffering and why there is affliction which I think if you compare it to the notion of suffering and affliction without a context of uh, history and and reason behind it, because again, if you take it back to that premise of we're just floating on a rock and we're just a clump of cells, then so so a child is is suffering and has, has cancer, then you're not actually offering me any explanation. You're not even attempting to say, you know, we can both agree that it's a terrible thing, but at least we can put our neck on the line and say, but I believe and understand this to be as a result of what's documented in this book. Whereas, unfortunately, I can't, you're not offering me much. You're just offering me suffering for suffering's sake, which doesn't make any sense to me. In fact, it's easier for them to uh, accuse God of of being an orchestrator of evil and suffering. It's easier for them to say that than for me to turn around and say, well, your view is actually completely sick in the head because we've just got this experience and for some it's just being young and dying. And there's, there's there's no explanation or reason for that or hope in that. So, so stating that I believe that even in the case of those below the age of accountability who who perish on this earth are literally um, going somewhere else, somewhere better, whether it's now or at the resurrection of Yeshua, 
I've got hope and I can offer hope to those that are, that are in and around that area, whether that's believed or, or, or whether that's revealed to an individual is, is not up to me, of course, but I can offer my belief and my sincerity of, of hope in the most darkest of situations. However, what are you offering me? What are you telling me? So, like, I, I get impassioned about this because how dare you accuse <laughs> us and the God that we serve of perpetuating a, a morally reprehensible situation when actually what are you, what are you giving me as a, as, a, as a redemptive element to this situation? So, yeah. Thing to do with this person, so, I'll yeah. never debate them. However, I would suppose that basically everybody that you've debated on the topic of Christianity would say something yeah. like that about yes, the anti children. And so I wonder uh, yes, why with you, William Lane you, Craig it's yes, a particular you, problem. You, you, you make a good point. And with all of that being said, I would fully submit all of this subject, all of this area and say, I still don't know, you know, why bad things happen to certain people. And it says in the Bible that God knows the beginning from the end. Uh, he is the Alpha and Omega. He is uh, using all things to conform to um, a redemptive plan that is timeless, spaceless, beyond our understanding. And I'm I'm happy with that. As a man that's gone through uh, certain um, areas of life and the troughs that it brings, I'm happy to hand these things to uh, my God and say, your will be done. I suppose um, no, none of these sophisticated theologians take the literal word of the Old Testament seriously. I mean, they don't. They don't believe in Adam and Eve, for example. Um, they don't. They don't believe in um, the, the. Therefore, why why would you believe that the the story of the Midianites mm. is 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 history? Why not just sort of say, well, this is some kind of tribal myth? And all sorts of tribes have these horrible... Well, I can keep up this um, God's advocate, if you like. I, I would say, in other words, I would answer that question with a Christian hat on by saying that the Bible is a collection of books rather than a book, yeah. and that that book contains different genres, and that the genre exactly. of, of Genesis is something like yeah. poetry. Exactly. The genre of numbers seems much more to be, at least intended to be history, in a way that the, the genre of Paul is is letters, it's epistles. Uh, yes. Whether or not you think he actually even existed, you know, I mean, I think Paul existed, just to be clear, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's still clear that what, that if you think that it's true, the kind of thing that Paul's doing is writing letters, the kind of thing that Acts is doing is essentially, you know, biography or history, is attempting to do that. It seems to me that where Numbers is very obviously trying to just recount historical events, Genesis seems a lot more allegorical to me. And so it doesn't seem inconsistent for me to say, well, of course, I don't believe in Adam and Eve. I don't believe in the seven-day creation. But I do believe that there was a real slaughter of the Midianites by Moses and his armies. Well, yes. And, 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 and then... Um... <laughs> so at the start, he's like, well, I, I don't know if we can say that these things happened because it was just a fairy tale myth. And I can't believe people believe in these myths. And then my man's just said... No, the, the, the Bible is extremely versatile in terms of uh, the formats and the, uh, the prose in which it operates. Uh, so chances are the whole Midianite things did happen. He's like, well, yes. So there's your first, like, come on, guy, it happened. Get over it. Um, but even with that being said, uh, 
Alex there was talking about the different uh, genres of the Bible, which I, I didn't I didn't find myself disagreeing with anything he said that uh, said there. However, um, it doesn't mean it can't is it has to be exclusive to that genre. So of course. Um, there are many allegorical and metaphorical um, positions and, and uh, descriptions within Genesis, but that doesn't negate the literal application of that happening. Uh, in fact, a lot of these uh, literary mechanisms are alluding to deep, deep uh, mysteries and things that are, are well beyond human comprehension that would take more than lifetimes to uh, to actually fully comprehend. So I, again, I, I rate what he's saying there about the different genres and you know uh, the different styles of writing and the descriptions. And it seems to me he's at least willing to concede the at least the historical um, accuracy uh, of the the things described in the scriptures. Which again, it can be probably more fruitful to have that conversation with somebody who's like it's all fairy tales and it never happened you believe in a big old man in the sky folly it's like <laughs> yeah i mean you i don't think you should then go ahead to justify it but quite they, right they, yeah they were the sinful i mean so I, I he's just conceded that it probably took place but he doesn't think it's a means in which you can justify what took place again by what standard what do what do you care why is that why is that important what your god is 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 evil well what is evil then what come on like would i know it sounds like i'm going around in circles but this is i think that's the crux of it it's like you've got a problem with what took place but why have you even why have you even got a problem you know where where what is your moral compass where did that come from and why is that even why, why do we even need to apply any moral compass at all, if any? Why don't we just run around and, and do what we want? Because, you know, what may be deemed evil in your eyes could be deemed amazing in somebody else's. So I should have thought that the, 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 the right and proper thing for a Christian to say is uh, the slaughter of the Midianites is no more factual history than the story of Jupiter or Apollo um, in Thor with, with his hammer and things. These, these are, these are tribal myths. Well, again, it's like, who, I don't, I don't, I'm not dismissive enough to think that this guy hasn't done his due diligence on quantum mechanics or physics or biology or whatever. Why, why would you be um, naive enough to assume that, that good Christians wouldn't know what Jupiter is? who for is like these these uh so-called mythological um beings it's like that's all biblical bro like that's all biblical if you want to get into the cosmo craters if you want to get into the history of the angelic realm and the relation between the stars and the heavens and the luminary like that's there <laughs> so it's just like it's just super dismissive it's just super dismissive. So again, I mean, I guess at this point, I'm personally triggered and I'm just reacting to it in my emotions. But I hope this serves a degree of purpose if you are engaged in a similar conversation with somebody, you know. Um, which um, 
uh, which we could study as 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 mythology. But why why go out of your way to make it sound much more evil than it really is? Um, by saying, well, the Midianites were sinful and their children were going to heaven. Anyway, it's somehow, I, I just find it more appalling. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I, I find Take it back to the children element, because it can be quite a difficult thing to, to wrestle with, that, which again, there are many things in the scriptures, which uh, when you get to read, uh, it can be really hard to, to digest. Now, one of the elements that, I've, that I came across with regards to the Midianite children Again, please don't get this twisted in the sense that I'm promoting killing children. Like, that really isn't it. But the context of what was taking place in that time. Now, if you know anything about warfare, and if you know anything about ongoing warfare, warfare is generational. So um, look at the troubles in in Ireland. Uh, Look at troubles everywhere. What tends to be at the heart of a lot of ongoing... um, a lot of ongoing uh, warfare and, and battles and all of that is um, is vengeance, particularly vengeance of a father or vengeance of family. I, honestly, like check that any any series, any film that deals with this, nine times out of ten, it's like you killed my parents and I'm going to take vengeance. <laughs> so, with that being said, if you applied that principle to the situation whereby, okay, this tribe. This army has come into this land. They've taken everybody out. If you don't take everything out, you're going to have a generation seeking vengeance. Um, Now, I'm not... Again, I didn't make these rules. I didn't come up with this. But for me, that makes a bit more sense. Now, it says in the scripture that all souls uh, belong to Yah. And... If in his sovereign decree that he thinks it's right to take what is ba- take what is his back to avoid a repercussion of um, either warfare, death, disease, all of these things, also having the mercy of not actually allowing these um, children to um, be absolved into this uh, this element, this way of life. So whether it is the idolatry, whether it's the the sexual immorality of that nature, whether it's the beast, all of these like absolutely heinous practices. Yah's just like, right, I need to cut this off. I need to cut this off at the source. I'm taking, this is mine. I'm ha-, like, that's where I start to begin um, at least um, salvaging understanding for myself. Whether somebody else wants to agree with that or not is up to them. But for me, I'm like, that That makes more sense. You know, cut it off at the source. And uh Let's not allow this um, perpetual state of, of war and, and vengeance to, 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 con- to continue in the land. I find it sort of appalling that you, that you take it so seriously, that you, that you actually, well, you take the belief in, those, in the historicity of it so seriously, that you even defend it rather than just say, as a, any decent bishop would say, would say, well, it's never happened. I think that what what bishops you hanging out are like any decent bishop would say it it never happened. I'm sure there's loads of bishops out there that probably compromise on these areas, but um, as particularly at the height of the the new atheism and and religion debates that were happening in in the in the sort of late two thousands, I think a lot of people were disappointed that the forerunner of the atheist side 
Richard Dawkins, and arguably the forerunner of the Christian side, William Lane Craig, never came together to have that debate. Because even if you do think that what he believes there is particularly and, and, and specifically evil, I suppose everything you've just said to me, people would probably just like to see you say that to William Lane Craig. I wrote an article in The Guardian saying it, um, and um, I did in fact have a debate with him in Mexico, I forget mm. when. Um, with, uh, with the boxing ring? Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and um, I just no desire to... to um, yeah. I, I don't respect him. I, did, did, I, I find his manner pompous, and, and I, I just don't... Don't want to be in the same room as him, really. Well, in, in the interest of diplomacy, I will offer no further comment, except that that's that's certainly not my experience with the man. But um, okay, I, I, I imagine that we've uh, we've had very different uh, interactions with him in the mm. past. Let's mm. put it that way. If you liked that clip, then you'll love the. Yeah. So that was uh, that was uh, Richard Dawkins talking about the uh, the moral compass of of God and why he thinks things are evil. Um, that was an insight into what goes on when I watch stuff <laughs> and the, the, the cogs start turning. But um, So I apologise if that was uh, uh, too much of an insight. However, uh, I hope that uh, does give you a bit more uh, to uh, grasp onto if you're ever forced into these conversations uh, with people about... Uh, you know the standards of God and the things that happen in the Bible, and um, yeah, and I guess with with um, with Dawkins himself, um, pray for the man. You know, like this guy's made a, ca a lifelong campaign out of trying to debunk and uh, fight against uh, the Creator of all things, and um, I, I look at, I, I see the guy, and uh, to be honest, he he looks a bit lost and. Um, quite often in the scriptures, it talks about the wisdom of man. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people can go through life basing everything on the wisdom of man and uh, are further away from the truth than, than, than anybody that hasn't even picked up a, a book or gone to a university or done all of these um, or any of all these things. So, um, yeah, I hope... That was uh, an enjoyable insight into uh, what's going on at the moment. Uh, as ever, um, please feel free to uh, reach out in the in the comments if you have any uh, further insights into what I've uh, touched on today, whether it be um, hardcore apologetics or laser laser beams and warfare of futuristic nature. I'm, I'm all ears um yeah so uh, feel free to reach out get involved with the comment section if you haven't already like subscribe do all the algorithm things uh, it'll be much appreciated um so with that being said um thank you so much once again for joining me um i hope that this reaches you well uh god willing we'll see you again in the future uh yet again from our house to yours uh shalom uh we wish you well and uh, see you soon